Imagine I'm your Wi-Fi signal in the center of your home, coming in loud and clear. But when I start to move over here, not so much. Thinking about heading into the basement? Not with your Wi-Fi. And here, well, there's this. That's why there's panoramic Wi-Fi from Cox. It casts a wider net with an advanced modem and extender so it reaches every corner of your home. Here, here, and here. Welcome home a new kind of internet. It's wall-to-wall fast panoramic Wi-Fi from Cox. On 1116 SEN, this is the Flag Flyers for the American-Australian Association devoted to strengthening relations between the United States and Australia. Hello everyone and welcome to the Flag Flyers, the place where we profile and chat about all the Aussies find the flag for us in the US of A. I'm Christopher Tyler and for the second week in a row... Xavier Player, what's going on, buddy? Not too much, mate. It's good to be back. Absolutely. Obviously, Lockie's still being overseas at the moment. He might still be over there next week. We're going to just uh, determine that later on in the week. So it'll either be you or Xavier, or your Xavier, yep. either you or Lockie or someone else in the chair the next week. But it's a surprise. We want to keep everyone in suspense until next week, until we find out what Lockie's movements are. But as we always do, mate, we've got a big, big show uh, coming up. We're not going to be doing rounding the bases like we usually do. We're going to be just having a quick one-on-one talking about the world of baseball. Uh, normally, we, we like to delve deep into uh, the world of the, the majors and the minors and all that sort of stuff. This week, we're going to keep it relatively short because we've got to get to our feature interview, uh, Justin Charles, former AFL player and minor league baseballer. So it's going to be a very interesting chat uh, with Justin. We're also going to be obviously chatting uh, the Game 2 of the NBA Finals, which took place yesterday. Della Vadova playing an integral part for the Cavaliers in the wake of Kyrie Irving's injury. So we're going to be chatting to Ben Yamkadane from Believe the Hype. NBA.com very, very shortly. And we're also going to be playing Delavidova's press conference because he's one of these players now, Xavier, who warrants his own press conference. He's there on the podiums at the end of games. He's getting his own press conferences. We've got our very own Alex Cohen, formerly of the Aces, who's called many Aces games for SEN. He's over there on behalf of SEN and SEN America. Uh, he, he had a chat with all the boys before and after the game, so he's been sending us all this terrific audio from the week, and he'll continue to do so, I think, for the, for the rest of the uh, series, which is great for us. So we're going to be playing Matthew Delvedova's press conference a little later on as well. And to finish off the show, Xavier, we thought we'd do something a little bit different. You brought a, an interesting idea to the table. Do you want to let, uh, let us know what it is? What I've gone for is the 10 greatest sporting achievements by Australians in America. And I think it's a good time to do that because of the way that Della Vidova's been playing at the moment and, and how all the Aussies, I guess, are, are competing on the uh, the world stage, specifically in the States with Dante Exum uh, most recently getting uh, drafted very highly and, and not even having to go through the college system, just coming straight out of high school. Ben Simmons uh, playing for LSU this year. We're getting a whole lot of guys doing tremendous things, but... Obviously, it hasn't just been the last five or so years that the Australians have, have been making us proud. It's been going on for a long, long time. And you've got some pearlies in there. I had a squeeze uh, before we came on air this morning uh, at your list. And, and there's plenty of things that kind of slipped my mind or, or that I've just forgotten about. So it would be good to refresh everyone uh, on some of these tremendous achievements that these Australians are doing. So it's uh, it's going to be a, a, a tremendous look at, uh, at how... All the Aussies have have gone for for you know the last twenty thirty years in the world of, of sport, but it's going to be a big show. Let's start off by talking about uh, the baseball as we normally do, and and a good news for one of the Australians that we haven't really spoken about too much this season. Uh, Peter Moylan, who uh, Lockie and I spoke about him while you were away earlier in the year. Yeah. And he had signed a deal to be a player coach with the Atlanta Braves single-A team, the Rome Braves, and he has recently been called up to triple-A, so the level below the majors. He's had two appearances so far for Gwinnett, and he's got a record of 1-0. He's pitched two innings, so obviously pitching out of the bullpen. Yep. I walked three guys in those appearances and struck out two, so... Probably not what he's looking for in terms of a walk-to-strikeout ratio, but good in the sense that he's come out, he's got to win nice and early, got that sort of, I guess, hurdle out of the way. You know, Liam Hendricks had previously been struggling with uh, getting his name in the win column. That's also changed. He, in the last week, has pitched seven times. Seven times in, in a week? Seven times in the last week. He's pitched nine innings in the last week. You can tell he's a specialty pitcher. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a couple-of-out guy. Uh, so, seven games in the last week. He picked up the win against Houston. He threw two innings, giving up two hits and no earned runs. Uh, outside of that, he, he seems to have pitched pretty well. I think that 
he'd definitely be happy with how he's going overall on the season now. 1-0, ERA 3.42. We talked about that last week. Getting that down to under 3.5, sort of in between 2.5, 3.5 is really where he wants to be. 26.1 innings pitched, 28 strikeouts. He's got a whip of .91. Now, I'm not sure if you know what the whip is. Walks, hits, innings pitched. Very good. One of my favorite baseball stats. So it's a a combination of uh, walks and hits per innings pitched. Really a good stat for pitchers to look at because... You've got your hits and your base by balls, but totaling those together and seeing how often and with what you know, regularity... And it doesn't include errors or anything no, like that, it's which just, is good. it's just walks and hits. So that's purely based on, here's what the pitch is doing, here's the average amount of guys they're getting on base. A whip of anything under one is fantastic. Also, interestingly enough for Liam, that was only his fourth ever Major League win, which you'd think he'd have more given he's been floating around for a while in mm. the system. All right. Speaking of guys who were in the system, still no news on Grant Balfour, unfortunately. Uh, the longer it goes on, it's probably still, not good. Still a free agent. The longer it goes on, it's not good. I'd hope that, that by the end of the month, at the absolute latest, he'd have something wrapped up. Mm. What about Trav Blackley? We've spoken about him on the show a few times. Obviously signed on with the uh, the Miami Marlins organization about a month back. What's his situation like at the moment? Uh, another outing in the last week, and unfortunately another rough outing. Uh he threw against the Tacoma Rainiers. He threw four innings, giving up nine hits, five earned runs, uh, walking two and striking out three. He took the loss in that one. So on the season, he goes to 0-2 with a 6.89 earned run average from three starts. We're going to be talking to Justin Charles later on, who played also for or under the uh, the then Florida Marlins organization. Didn't play for the Florida Marlins, but played for their uh, minor league affiliates. So we're going to be chatting about uh, all things minor league with Justin a little later on. But first, obviously it was a big, big game too. Cavs v. Warriors. Cavs got the win in OT today. The first time in NBA history that the first two games of the NBA Finals have gone to overtime, which is tremendous for me because I don't care who wins out of Cavs and Warriors, and I think a lot of Australians are the same because either way we're going to have an Australian take out the championship, and I love the way both of these teams play. And if LeBron can get the job done with his supporting cast at the moment, then it really solidifies how good he is. But Game 2 was on yesterday. We're going to be chatting to Ben Yemkadane very, very shortly from BelieveTheHypeNBA.com about the latest from those two games. And let's just uh, start off before we get to him. Here's some highlights. As for the starting lineups, obviously a change for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Matthew Dellavedova, who started a couple of games in the conference finals against the Hawks, he gets his third start of the postseason with Chumper James Thompson and Timothy Mozgov, who played very well in game one. And the usual starting five for Steve Kerr and the Golden State Warriors, the Splash Brothers, both 20 points plus in their first ever NBA Finals game on Thursday night. As always, the crowd ready here in Oakland. Delavadova. Oh, nice pull from Delavadova. His first field goal. Seven to shoot. Delavadova, another floater. Again, drops it in. Curry trying to poke it away. Delavadova, open look. And hits the three. Matthew Delavadova from downtown. And the lead is 11. James on the drive, goes inside, misses, won't go, overtime! For the first time in NBA history, the first two games of the NBA Finals are going to overtime. Delavadova, a 76% free throw shooter. Has battled all night long defensively and ties the game with 10.1 remaining. Clutch free throws from Matthew Delavadova, two-point game. They find Curry. Curry ahead to Thompson. Knocked away. Stolen by Thompson. And the NBA Finals are tied at one game apiece. An inspiring bounce back win for the Cavaliers. Could you talk about the contribution of uh, De La Vedova? You know, you know, uh, Mas, he just, he, he did what he has been doing. Every time that we put him in that position. Um, he's a courageous kid that plays right. There was a lot of nonsense swirling around about his style of play. I, I think anyone that really looks at him objectively and fairly recognizes someone that just plays hard, heartful, tough basketball, always there for his teammate, always there, teammates, always there for his team. And he played big tonight, and we needed him to. We needed everything that we got from now. They came in and did an excellent job of uh, 
contributing offensively and defensively. Uh, they were pretty good. LeBron Tomlinson from Fox Sports Australia. Um, just take us through Delhi's performance on Steph Curry. It's one of Steph's probably worst shooting performances in his career. No, uh, it, had, it had everything to do with Delhi. Um, you know, he just he, he kept a body on Steph. He made Steph work, and um, you know, he was spectacular, man, defensively. And um, you know we, you know we needed everything from him. I mean, when Steph shoots the ball, you just automatically think it's going in because he shoots the ball so well. Um, I mean, he he stunned me on on one in the fourth quarter where he just took a, a in and out dribble and, and, and raised for a three and he nailed it. Um, and I wasn't on Delhi, so you know he just did a great job. It's just you know just trying to make it tough on Steph. That's all you can do. You make it tough on him. You, you get a contest, and, and, and you live with the results, and I think Delhi, you know, he did that. So that was the sounds of the game there. Thanks to ESPN, as well as Alex Cohen, who's over there for SCN and SCN America. Ben Yamkadane from Believe the Hype, NBA.com, has jumped on the line now, as he does every week to give us the latest from the game. Ben Yam, welcome to the show. Always a pleasure, guys. Now, mate, for the second game in a row, Game 2 of today's NBA Finals went to OT, the first time in NBA history that the first two games in the NBA Finals have done that. The Cavs got the win. Daly got the minutes. Coincidence? I don't think so, mate. Well, I mean, when you look at Steph Curry's performance, you have to attribute you know, a lot of that to Daly. He did a fantastic job uh, slowing down the MVP and, and really sort of sending him into that shooting rut today. Exactly. So not only did he, he had that defensive work, he hit some clutch free throws in OT to put them ahead. Mate, he's doing exactly what the Cavs have asked him, I reckon. He hasn't put a foot wrong, really. I mean, everything that's been asked of him in this uh, in this playoff series, but especially in the finals as well, uh, especially coming off uh, a relatively poor game when really he played nine minutes and scored and didn't have that sort of same impact to come back in game two and reset with a new focus, a new role uh, as a starter. Did a fantastic job and, uh, and made some very, very big plays. Uh, down the stretch, not just the free throw, but the the offensive rebound to get the foul was a, was probably the biggest play of the, of the game for him. We talk about the fact he hasn't put a foot wrong, and we saw after game one, Stephen A. Smith tweeting out, "I can't believe he's a professional basketballer." I uh, and Delhi's copped a bit of stick all throughout the playoffs. Well, Colin Cowherd. If, if it's, after if this it's game. not one thing, it's another. How much fuel do you reckon that gives him to perform? Because I think he's just sitting there lapping it up. Well, I think for Delhi, I mean, this this is him. This is how he plays. This is his game. He's he's always been written off, whether it was you know going back to you know his college days to not being drafted to um, you know being a first year rookie last season. He sort of had to fight for every single opportunity. So he knows that the only way that he's going to get through all of this is sort of sticking to his game plan, and and he's reaping the rewards now, uh, rightfully so. But he's been very very impressive, and I think the sort of criticism is something that. You know, they, they only criticise and boo the guys that are a problem, the, the guys that are beating him up. Nobody, nobody boos bad players. So the fact that he's making an impact uh, on this series and, and on this playoffs, it's annoying for people and, and, and for opposition guys. So that's, that's just part of the territory. Kind of following on from that, did you see Colin Cowherd's tweet today? I didn't. He tweeted out after the game that Daly may be the worst player to get some major minutes in the NBA Finals. Do you think he's correct? Well, that's the whole thing, right? I mean, he shouldn't be there, but he is, and he's... <laughs> he's but do you think he's the worst player to ever play in major minutes in the NBA Finals? Surely there's someone from that 2007 Cavs squad that'd be up there? Oh, look, I think, I think that is a bit of a stretch, but when you, when, you, when you look at that sort of statement, that's kind of... It's a little bit backwards, because if you're going to call him the worst player, but he's still having a great impact. So, I mean, what does, what does that say about you know, what he's doing in the series? So, it's, it's a little bit of a backhanded compliment in, uh, in, in some ways. But I just think that no one really expected him to, A, be given the opportunity to have that kind of impact nor deliver consistently. And it's, uh, it's caught a lot of people off guard. Yeah, it's better to be spoken about than not being spoken about at all. Exactly. Mate, um, just um, looking... Um, if, 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 we, if we were to take a, a trip back to the start of the season, a lot of people probably would have expected, or, or most people would have expected, to kind of see the matchup Cavs versus Warriors, but I don't think anyone would have really guessed that the Australian that we would be talking about would have been Matthew Dellavedova. Obviously, Andrew Bogut's on the other side. How have you seen uh, the way that uh, Bogey's been playing the first two games? Well, I think Bogut's been solid uh, through the first couple of games. This this game, too, didn't really uh, give him the sort of same sort of opportunities that we have sort of seen play really, really well. I mean, he still dragged down 10 rebounds. Only played 25 minutes, but uh, the Warriors, especially towards the end of those games, uh, are doing such a great job when they go small. So when you have Draymond Green playing at the five, it, it'll, it allows so many uh, you know, different things for them defensively. And, and, and Moss Bogut's been doing a good job. It's just that 
those sort of crucial times and, and, and especially, you know, Draymond Green had a couple of big defensive plays at the end of that game. I mean, that's just kind of where the Warriors are at their, at their best on both sides of the floor is when they sort of play that small lineup. So Bogut's kind of been a little bit uh, of a victim of that adjustment, but I, I think he's definitely held his own out there. Looking at the coaching staff of both teams, Steve Kerr and David Blatt, obviously, first-year coaches, who do you think's coping better in-game and showing a greater adaptability to react to what's happening on the floor? Well, I think David Blatt's probably had to react to a lot more things, uh, obviously with the uh, injury to Kyrie Irving, but then also just the, uh, the bombardment of the, of the Golden State de- uh, offense. Rather, he's, he's had to do a lot of different things, especially in, uh, in Game 2. I mean, they did a great job of slowing down the tempo of the game and uh, getting back on defense really, really quickly, and that just kind of forced the Warriors uh, into beating them in the half court, which is something that the Warriors... You know, that they prefer when they can get out on the break, when they can get those transition buckets, they can get the second unit going and get those three-pointers involved. So the way that the Cavs were able to kind of stifle that a little bit uh, and force them into some half-court sets, that, that kind of threw the Warriors off a little bit. And, and I think the Cavs did a great job adjusting to that. And, and David Blatt deserves a lot of credit for the, uh, the changes he made in this game. So now the Cavs take home-court advantage. They go back to Cleveland for Game 3. How important do you think that uh, home-court advantage is for this series? Well, this is a really, really uh, important game, this Game 3, because the winner of a tied NBA Finals series uh, has gone on to win 84% of them. That's 31-6. to six. So wow. the, the history and stats are, are, are behind the Cavs. This is a really, really crucial game. To go up 2-1 at home, uh, I think mentally for the Cavs as well, because this is the first time that you know they're going back. This is their first win in, in NBA Finals history, so they can go back on their home floor uh, and produce another win in Game 3 in front of their home fans. That could really, really do a lot for them uh, as far as momentum, because... They've had a lot of things go wrong for them this uh, this final series. So right now the the series is you know pretty delicately poised. I sent a tweet out earlier this week saying that God seems to be taking the piss a little bit with this uh, Cleveland Cavaliers squad because firstly they don't make the finals for however many years, then all of a sudden the chosen one uh, comes to Cleveland with the the number one draft pick in LeBron James. He goes to an NBA Finals, doesn't make it, then leaves uh, for Miami, and then they get three first-round draft picks, including one where they had a 1% chance to, uh, to to take it. Then one of them turns out to be terrible. So then they get LeBron James back. But then when LeBron James comes back, then two of their best three players get injured. It's such a roller coaster ride for the Cleveland Cavaliers fans at the moment. It's ridiculous. I could not imagine the emotional torment of the oh, Cavs fan, but just a Cleveland sports fan in general. I'm tired just thinking about it. <laughs> There's a lot going on here for Cleveland. Hey, mate, what's coming up on the Believe the Hype this week? Uh, we've got another episode coming out tonight. We're going to go back and recap all of the Game 2 action and uh, obviously have a bit of a chat about how Del Vadova managed to change the series. So we'll, uh, we'll go into a bit of a deep dive into Game 2 and look ahead at Game 3 as well. Beautiful, Ben. Thanks for coming on the show, mate. Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Chatting to Australians flying the flag in the US of A, this is the Flag Flyers. Now, the list of Australians who have played baseball at any level in the States, Xavier, isn't particularly long and the list of Australians who have played baseball in the States and AFL football is even shorter. Justin Charles may be one of the only people to have accomplished this feat, and he joins us on the Flag Flies this morning. Justin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, boys. It's an um, absolute pleasure, but uh, I've got to say, I didn't play Major League Professional Baseball. But, no, but you're in the system. That's why I was sure to say play baseball in the States at any level. Yes, no, thank you very much. Yes. But it's still it's still a tremendous feat, even if you don't make it to the to the majors. It's still a tremendous feat to actually make it over, especially when you kind of had a career um, in Australia playing Aussie Rules football and being able to do the two at the same time, well, not at the same time, but having a sabbatical from Australia and actually going over for for a season is is phenomenal. You're kind of like the Michael Jordan of Australian uh, of Australian <laughs> sport. Do you know what's interesting is that Michael Jordan actually quit baseball and began his baseball career when I actually signed as a professional with the Florida Marlins. So he was with um, he was with the Barons Double uh, A team, um, and uh, uh, when, when I first started. So there you go. That's my link with Michael Jordan. There's no, there's no other link. It just stops there. <laughs> it stops there. <laughs> Justin. How did you come to sign with the Marlins of all teams? Okay, so how it happened, um, I was playing at the Bulldogs um, and probably Scotty Wind and, and Ilya Grigic were the first choice Ruckman and they were looking at trading me to Fitzroy. Uh, this was back in 93, 94. And I'd always sort of played baseball and, and elite-level baseball in the summer um, with football in the winter. And 
a lot of the scouts were, were asking me, or, or they sort of avoided me because they knew that I played professional football in the winter and, and that I, I probably wouldn't be worth even talking to about baseball. And uh, it got to the point where Terry Wheeler was going to trade me to Fitzroy. And ba- uh, sorry, football in Australia wasn't at that professional level yet where you know, players would look at going, you know, switching clubs randomly. And I wasn't keen on leaving the Bulldogs. You know, I had family connections with the Bulldogs and I offered to play for less money and, and Terry really wanted to trade me for some players that he wanted from Fitzroy. And I said, well, if you're going to trade me, I quit. And, um, and I was playing with the Melbourne Monarchs uh, at the time and John Diebel, uh arguably one of Australia's most famous baseball identities and, and most professional um, identities in, in baseball, he was working with the Florida Marlins at the time. And uh, he said, well, if you've quit football, um, we'll have a look at you. And, and and that's how it all came about. It was all through the connection with John Diebel. So... So was there at any stage was there any stage before you actually started your football career that uh, you were going to make the trek over to the states? Was there any uh, I guess opportunities for you to head maybe to college or, or to the pros before you actually kick started your footy career? Or were you so entrenched in that football culture that it was kind of the only option for you um, when you when you left school? That's a you know what that's a really good question, and I guess I I, I actually did play college baseball. And uh, I played junior college baseball with Chabot Junior College in uh, Northern California. Right. Um, and that was in order to try and qualify for a part scholarship to Berkeley, who was a Pac-10 wow. school. Now it's a Pac-12, uh, but but a very very high quality uh, Division One school uh, in the states. Um, and it came down to I wasn't a good enough student to be able to maintain a B average as well as play baseball, because the baseball schedule is pretty hectic. Um, and I wouldn't have been a good enough player to actually get a full scholarship. So they were talking part scholarships, and I was over there trying to qualify for that. Um, in the end, it was my academic ability or, or lack of focus on my academics, <laughs> probably more the point, um, because those Pac-10 schools and uh, Division One schools in the Pac-10 uh, a lot of them, and particularly Berkeley, uh, they don't fudge their tests for, for good <laughs> you, know, you, you legitimately have to be an extraordinary person to both be a, a scholar and an athlete there. So um, that's what I was doing over there and, and really got a taste for it over there. But I, I, I guess it was a bit of a dream to play professional baseball, but I I've always thought that maybe um, if I had have gone on to play college baseball at, at, at Berkeley... Um, that probably would have been my best shot at professional baseball, at, you know, at the, at the highest level um, at that time. But it, it sort of didn't pan out. I came back and played football. So, going back to the year you spent in the Marlins system, you hit two hundred nine, two eighty two on base percentage, three home runs, sixteen RBIs. <laughs> what research? <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, but. Looking back on that now, when you're coming from a background where you're playing a completely different sport professional that's using a 100% different skill set, do you consider that a success? Oh, look, um, I say yes because of how it's set up over there. Whatever you sign for, if you sign for a lot of money, the more money you sign for, the more opportunities you're going to get. Now, I basically signed for a pie and a can of Coke. (laughs) And uh, so I didn't sign for very much money. It was about $5,000 that I signed for. And uh, I was over there at spring training, had an awesome time at spring training and and earned my spot to where I was playing every day as a first baseman. So a corner infielder, first base and third base, hitting in a three or four hole and playing really well um, for the first three months in, in rookie ball. And then when June rolls around, that's the June draft happens. So that's when the major league clubs go into the draft and, the, and they select all their players. Yeah, and this year's one's coming up very shortly, I think. That's correct. Mm. That's right. In, yeah, it happens in June. Um, and uh, they signed a guy, uh, Todd Cady, for, I don't know, $180,000. Now, regardless of his talent or ability... If you've put $5,000 into one guy and $180,000 into another guy, who are you going to give more opportunities to? The first guy, the $180,000 guy. Correct. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And and so 
Whereas, now, because I'd been playing professional baseball for three months before he actually got, you know, got to us, I was red hot and really in form. Um, but I went straight to the bench as soon as he came along. Um, and, you know, I was playing once a week. And so my numbers really, really got affected. So I was playing maybe once or twice a week. So you're playing every day. So 140 game season in the minors. And um, so I go from playing every day to you know, once or twice a week, maybe a pinch hit here and there. And that's very difficult when you're trying to catch up with the 95, 96 mile an hour fastball. And so Todd was getting the starts before me and not performing very well. Um, but fortune went my way a little bit and uh, he actually broke his arm. And was that, was, Did you have anything to do with that? <laughs> no, but you know what? We were actually roommates and he was a lovely guy. So it's a perfect opportunity. Just wait till he's asleep. He even felt, he even felt embarrassed that he was playing ahead of me. You know? Oh, really? Really good guy. Yeah, really good guy. And um, anyway, he ends up breaking his arm and uh, I get to play the last half of the season and then that's where my numbers picked up. So you see I hit 200 with yeah. um, you know four home runs and all that. That came in the second half of the season. <clears throat> and actually, really, I actually had to hit over 300 to get my numbers up to that. Uh, to that level. So do I consider it a success? Absolutely. It was, um, you know, and what I know now, if I had to put more, uh, or if I had had a stronger self-image and more self-confidence in myself, I, I probably should have stuck it out and um, and, and really give it a, a better go than I did. Um, but, you know, I ended up coming back and going into the draft uh, in the AFL draft and getting picked up by Richmond and coming third in the Brownlow in 96. So, you know, it was things. You know, I've had a blessed existence, and and to be able to play, you know, professional sport in in two different sports has been a real gift. Um, and the people that I've met along the journey have just been fantastic. So I can't complain at all. If you did get the opportunity to play that entire season rather than kind of, um, you know, sitting out the first half, and you did play very well, and and you were a lot more successful than those numbers, even though those numbers are very good, do you think you would have continued on, especially if there was certainly, um, I guess, uh, whispers from uh, the the major leagues that they wanted to progress you and, and move you off the ranks? Look, um, and, and this is where the numbers don't really tell the whole story. If you have a look at the numbers or my numbers in the second half of the season compared to the numbers in the first half, like I played... I played really quality baseball in that second half and and hit well above 300 to get my numbers up to that level. Um, that's how low they were in the first half uh, because I was only playing once or twice a week. And, yeah. um, look, I think baseball is one of those things, and, and, and it'll happen less and less. More and more you're going to have to come out of a college system because you know the, the college systems are so good that you get so much more experience because you play so much more than any kid of the same age anywhere else in the world. So, so sorry, you go. No, 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 no. That's all I was going to say. So more and more, what happened with me is going to happen less and less. So our kids should really be aiming at, oh, this is just an opinion, by the way, but um, I feel that kids should be aiming to get into a good college system and, and have four years of meaningful results um, and experience and culture, you know, American culture. A lot of kids that go over that haven't experienced American culture, they get homesick and want to come home. Mm. So at least if you've been in the, the college system, you've lived over there, you know, for four years, you understand the culture, you understand the people, you become American, Americanized and American, and all of a sudden they treat you with a different, you, you know, you're a different uh, proposition for them because you've got four years of comparable stats or meaningful st- statistics and uh, you look at like um, uh, and, and a beautiful example of this is uh, Josh Spence uh, he's a Geelong uh, a Geelong lad yeah and, and a friend of this show as well we've had him on a couple of times oh has he yep absolutely he's, he's a lovely kid How, he's a, just a super kid and um, anyway he played with us um, when I was assistant coach at the Baycats down at Geelong, and uh, I was talking with him. He came. He was with us for about thirteen outings uh, before he actually signed to the big leagues. 
he'd just come out of Arizona State and uh, he was going to get signed and he, he got signed and then he was like about three months away from the big leagues when I was talking with him and it was after a performance where he he came in a relief uh, appearance. It was a high leverage situation. It was loaded bases against the top team uh, in Essendon. Uh, he struck a guy out, and the next two guys were out in front of his changeup and just hit a weak ground ball back to him as the, at the pitcher, and, and we got out of the innings. And he was just ice cold. He was just ice cold, emotionless. You know, He was just able to come in and get the job done. And I was talking with him afterwards, and I said, Josh, how many times have you come in in that situation? over your college career, and he said, oh, maybe 50 or 60. <laughs> 50 or 60 times he's come in in that situation and he's executed. He just, over his four-year stint with Arizona State, he just had so much experience and, and so much, he knew exactly what he needed to do to take care of his arm, exactly what he needed to do to look after his body, exactly what he needed to do to prepare. And so coming in in those high-leverage situations, the same age Aussie kid playing in Australia, maybe have seen that situation maybe a dozen times in his career over the same stint. So more and more, if you play in, a, in, in college baseball, and college baseball right now is just getting better and better and better, and the programs are better and better, and they're playing to win every single game. Even though they play lots of games, they're playing to win every single game. And... It's just the most extraordinary breeding ground to bring players into professional baseball. You know, they're, 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 they're bred to win and they're bred, you know, to execute under pressure. So um, that's what I believe our Australian kids really need to be gunning towards is getting into a really good college program um, at a young age. And then the other side of the thing is, is to actually even... Um, understand American culture so that you're not homesick. You know, that's the biggest killer. I, I believe that's the biggest factor, even as a 24-year-old when I went over, you know, homesickness is a real legitimate factor. Yeah, well, well, Josh, Josh is even at the stage now where he's he's still he's still over there. He's, he's obviously finished predominantly playing now, moving into a managerial position. But he's living over there. He's, he's got some family over there as well. So he's managed to find a perfect kind of middle ground because he has that kind of family um, exactly. around him, that family base. His brother's over there as well. So it obviously helps if you can get to get something like that going on. Absolutely, and his younger brother Liam. See, you, you, so Liam's. Uh, 17, he's certainly under 18, uh, or he might be even 18, but um, young Liam, and, and he's going to be a superstar, by the way, um, he actually just missed out on selection uh, with another uh, number of young players uh, in our senior winter combined team that we played in this tournament just recently, uh, just this weekend. Um, and because Josh has sort of paved the way, um you know, he, that, he's really going to understand that he's got to get into a good college system, and, and, and certainly he will. There's no doubt. There's no doubt that Liam will certainly get into a good uh, college program, and, and he'll probably go on to play Major League Baseball. I guess one thing that as someone growing up with Australian rules and falling in love with baseball from the second they saw it that's always fascinated me is the difference in sporting culture. And when I say that, I'm talking about the sporting culture in Australia is you play on weekends. The sporting culture, the sporting culture in America is you play every day. Correct. So, as an athlete who's played professionally in both sports, how did you find the jump from okay, we play a Friday night game, a Saturday or a Sunday, to we're going out there every day and we're expected to perform at one hundred percent every single day? Yeah, that's a really good question, and and I guess uh, my experience with professional baseball, and I, I guess um, I'll. I'll First of all, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example of baseball on baseball. So baseball in Australia and baseball in America, um, because that's probably the best comparable. Because because football really doesn't compare. Because professional football in Australia and America sort of does compare. Because you do only play once a week, but in America certainly you practice every day, or you've got something to do every day in terms of preparing for the next game. And that's the way football has gone in Australia. And I feel I was actually part of that change to full-time. 
Um, and, and part of my American experience in baseball helped me with that transition uh, into football full-time. Also played a lot of golf with football, by the way. <laughs> you know, got a lot of time on your hands there. But um, certainly with baseball and baseball, so baseball in Australia and baseball in America, you're only playing baseball a couple of times a week in Australia and, and baseball in, in America every single day. I actually really love it. And, and it's actually the best. It's the way the game is meant to be played. Um, the game is meant to be played every single day. Um, and the teams that I've coached in Australia, I've tried to offer practice or some sort of baseball activity every single day, regardless of where, when and where we play. Uh, if we're playing once or twice a week, Regardless, I've tried to offer um, you, you, some sort of baseball activity uh, every single day um, and, and because that's the only way to get better. Swinging a baseball bat is just like swinging a golf club. If you don't do it every day, you'll lose it. And, and certainly arm strength, if you're doing a, an arm strengthening program. Oh, when I went away with the Florida Marlins, we had an arm program, a throwing program that I participated in and I did it 160 days in a row. I never missed my throwing program. And I came back, and my arm strength was incredible. I've never been a real pitcher. I've pitched to fill in in Australia, but I've never been an actual pitcher. But when I came back from America, from doing this throwing program, I was throwing like high, high 80s, you know, high 80-mile-an-hour fastballs, and I could throw sliders and curveballs all day long. No effect to my arm because my arm was so healthy and in condition to throw because of this throwing program. Right. So, yeah, so that's the difference. And, and you just get better. When you do something every single day, you just get better. There's no, there's no other way. And so it's very difficult. So I'm coaching in a winter, uh, a winter tournament now, or sorry, a winter competition now, where we play once a week and we practice once or twice a week. It's very difficult to get good or get into a groove when you're playing in that manner. Um, so... Yeah, look, it, it was a very easy transition. It's so fun waking up in the morning, having your breakfast at like 12 o'clock in the afternoon, you know, 12 lunchtime, and making your way down to the yard and ha having a four-hour practice session before you actually, you know, and then a couple of hours off, and then you play a game at night. It was, a, it was so awesome. It was, it was just awesome, and you get better. It was like being over there for one year was like a 10-year fast-forward button for my baseball career. <laughs> Changed my life. That's unbelievable. So while while you obviously didn't struggle with that component of moving to the States, is there anything specifically that you did find difficult other than just moving overseas and leaving behind family and all that sort of thing? Was there anything about the way that the game was played or any or anything that you had to deal with that uh, you found a bit uh, difficult? Oh, look, Ameri Americans. <laughs> <laughs> just in general? <laughs> Look, you, you know, any time when you come from a different culture, there's just a way you do things and, and how you deal with people. And uh, I, I think the, the, the challenges that I had was probably, um, you know, dealing dealing with a different culture and, and, and homesickness. So is that the way that the team, do you mean that from a team perspective or just the general American population? Yeah, just, yeah, just, I mean... Yeah, absolutely. Just it was it was being from a different culture and adjusting. You know, like they just do things differently. Um, you know, words mean different things, mm. and your actions can be misconstrued as rude, and you don't mean anything by it. Um, you know, I'll give you an example, and this is a baseball specific example. Um, I remember. Uh, uh, there was a game where um, I'd hit I'd hit two home runs in my first two at bats, and I got hit by the pitch in my third at bat after hitting two home runs. But it was a breaking ball. The guy clearly it slipped out of his hand, mm. and he wasn't he wasn't trying to hit me. And um, anyway, this was this was after. Um, Todd Cady broke his arm, so I'm playing every day now, and I, I'm trying, and I'm starting to hit the ball really well, and uh, and and I get hit, and I've thrown my bat, and I'm carrying on because I wanted to get another hit to boost, you know, to boost my numbers up, yeah. right? And the opposition took that as me showing up the pitcher. Now I had no idea that that's what I was doing. 
They do have baseball. Does seem to have a lot of kind of those unwritten rules and the way that you should behave more than any other sport on the planet, pretty much. And a lot of them seem to be ridiculous, like the way that you can't flip your bat after iron run and and what you were just talking about. Then it's it's very different and it's very, it's very much of a boys' club the, the way that baseball is run. Look, a, a little bit, a little bit, but when when you understand that, you know, when you're doing something every day. And you don't want to make a big deal out of things. If, if, you, if you do something good, you don't want to rub someone's face in it. Mm. You know what I mean? So I, I actually appreciate and understand. But until you actually understand the rules, like if you're from another culture and you don't really understand the etiquette yet, um, you, you've, got to be, you've got to be brought along and educated. And certainly they educated me in, in no uncertain terms. You know? <laughs> like they threw right at me at my next at-bat. <laughs> you know? So they deliberately did just to you know, send a message, which was fine, you know, and, and I understood. But it's those kind of little things that, um, that I sort of struggled with more than anything. It was adjusting to the culture, adjusting to the way Americans do things. Um, and, and look, when you're young, you don't make the adjustments as quickly as you do when you're older. Just going back to what you were talking about with the uh, college system providing experience for players before they get into the professional system, I've yep. just just done a quick Google search on Todd Cady, who I'd never heard of before this interview. Um, looking at this now, he was actually originally drafted by the Mariners out of high school in the 27th round. He plays right. three years at college, then he's drafted out of the third round. That's really good evidence for what you're talking about with that experience will not only get you game and life experience, but when clubs want to draft you and invest in you, you are going to be a higher priority. Absolutely. See, and if you have a look, he got drafted out of Arizona State. Yep, and I also saw that here, and they had a three-year career in the minors. Yeah, and and see, look, that's the that's the roll of the dice, and and look, see, Todd, he, he was exceptional, and and our hitting coach with the um, with the Florida Marlins was a guy by the name of Jeff Pentland, and Jeff Pentland was a really talented hitter in his own right, and missed out, like he played Triple A for the Dodgers, and and really unlucky not to play with the Dodgers. Um, but he was a beautiful hitting coach. He was just—he was just an unbelievable hitting coach. But he was—he was actually Barry Bonds' coach when he was at Arizona State. Oh wow! And, yeah, and 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 Barry Bonds actually attributes a lot of his success to you know his time at ASU uh, and working with Jeff Pentland. And so that's how good Jeff is as a coach uh, and as a player in his own right. Um, and so. He actually got Todd drafted, and so he was actually going to be given a lot more opportunity um, th- than most. But it was a really good move on his behalf. He knew he knew that uh, you know the college system that he was going to, or the college baseball program he was going to, was going to give him the best possible opportunity to succeed at major league level. Now the fact that he didn't is neither here nor there. There's, you know, there's a, there's always a story behind the story, but but certainly that gave him the best possible opportunity to to make it to the big leagues. So looking back on on your time over in the states as of now, do you think that that one year sabbatical either positively or negatively influenced uh, your on the field performance back uh, playing Aussie rules football? Did it at all make a difference to to the way that you approached the game, either either mentally or physically? Absolutely, and nothing but positive. Nothing but positive. It was the best, regardless. I guess probably the the the, the lesson. If I had to do my my time again, it would be to pick one or the other. Which one would it be? Uh, see, it's so hard because I. <laughs> that, that's a hard question to answer because. Um, well, look, if I had my time again, I'd give all my energy and, and, and heart to baseball. Good. Um, I'm, I'm going to say that, you know, straight up. But, um, you know, the, 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 the lessons that I've learned in hindsight have just been invaluable. And I really feel I can help the kids, you know, um, coming through, you know, hopefully make that choice. You can't serve two masters. Any time that you're spending developing your football skill, uh, and talent, while it's a good break, it's costing you expertise in, you know, baseball or whatever skill that, or whatever sport that you you're also doing. So, if you're a cricket, whether it be football, cricket, or football, baseball, whatever, it's difficult to serve two masters. So you think and, that 
baseball in Australia is still relatively strong? Is there a lot of um, young kids coming up through the system that uh, do want to be involved and do want to head over and go to the States and, and play baseball professionally? Because we're seeing at the moment a lot of uh, Australians going over and punting uh, in college football and playing in the NFL. We're seeing a lot more Australians going to the NBA. But at the moment, we're kind of, we've got a lull in the amount of Australians playing uh, Major League Baseball. Do you think that'll change at any time soon? What, what, what state do you think the game is in this country? Well, just that's a really good question again, and and I think I think the 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 answer to that is that the reason why we're seeing a bit of a lull um, in Australians playing Major League Baseball is that there's such a gap between the average seventeen or eighteen year old player in Australia and the same player um, in America. Yeah, and particularly, you'll see a lot of a lot of baseballers will come out of the hot beds of California and Florida, where they play year round. But they're not just playing year round; they're playing every single day. They, they play almost every single day because the winters are mild, and and the baseball season is in summer. So they're playing year round, and they'll 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 be playing lots and lots and lots and lots of games. And then they go into a college system that's only getting stronger and better. Um, you know, we'll. we'll it's my opinion we'll see less and less Australians get signed as a free agent, go into professional baseball, and then succeed to the major league, unless you're a pitcher. That's the that's the X factor because pitchers, you're either blessed with a 90 mile an hour fastball or not. You, you know, you, you know you can't really develop velocity, or, or you're going to develop velocity in small degrees. Yeah, even with even with pitchers though, we see a lot of these pitchers coming through the system in the states. They're having Tommy John surgery in the fifteen, sixteen, so that their arms are stronger than you know everyone else's and and all this sort of stuff, and making sure that they don't run the risk of needing Tommy John surgery once they enter the major leagues. I don't think we'll ever see that in Australia. Well, it's not it's not that um, commonplace for Australian or young Australian pitchers to have surgery like that. Yeah, but they're not throwing as much either. Um, and look, I, I think. This is the thing you, you see the difference between the difference between pitching talent in the minor leagues and the low minor leagues. So, say single A and and rookie ball, um, they've got really live arms. You know, you've got guys that throw ninety seven, ninety eight miles an hour, and they're really live arms, and they, you know, generating a lot of spin on the ball, and they've got good stuff, but they don't know where the heck it's going. <laughs> Right, and then you've got the guys in Double AA, A, Triple A, Major League that don't have as much velocity, but they're genuine pitchers. You know, like they don't throw as hard, but they've got the eighty-eight mile an hour sinker. You know, the ball that runs in on the right hander's hands, um, and and they've got the you know the straight changeup that you know hitters get out in front of. You know, so it's the the ability to get hitters out as you get older. You know, and, and as you go through the system, so you know it's not um, it's not necessarily how hard you throw. It's what you know of, of the three virtues of velocity, location, um, and movement. You know, I mean, everyone loves to have velocity, but if you don't have if, if it's a straight fastball with no movement and no location, that's no good. You're speaking like so, a true pitcher at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. You know, but if this is the thing, if you've got a if you've got a fastball at ninety seven miles an hour, but it's dead straight, major league hitters or even professional hitters at any level will eventually catch up with you and hit you out of the park. So it's no use having a dead straight fastball with backspin. <laughs> you know that the hitters will will catch up to you. You need a little bit of movement, and you need location. So you need to be able to put it where you want it to. No use throwing at 97 miles an hour, like right down the middle of the plate, you know, because hitters will tee off on you. You need to be able to move it in and out, up and down, away. You need to run it off the plate, run it into hitters, run it away from hitters. And then all of a sudden, and you don't learn that overnight. And that's what you learn that stuff in college. Just lastly, and to finish up very quickly, uh, one thing we always like to talk about with baseball guests on this show is the state that the ABL is currently in. How do you think the league's sitting at the moment and where do you think it's going? Um, I definitely think we need, we need an elite level uh, 
ABL competition. Um, I think what we need more uh, to make it successful is some way of um, uniting the domestic competition with the elite level um, because it's not really that well supported and and there's no real incentive to to send your best guys up to that level Um, and it's a little bit um, one way in in that I think the ABL teams and I'm only speaking maybe from from a Victorian point of view and me being a coach in the baseball Victoria system is that it's very difficult to um, I don't know it just seems like uh, our, our, our local team asks a lot doesn't give a lot back in return and that never that never works and I think the best programs within the ABL have a very uh, cohesive relationship between the, the domestic competition and the elite level so I'd like to, and, and I'd like to see, I'd like to see the team. And, and once again, it's very easy to make uh, comments from afar because I'm not involved in it. It's very easy, but from what it looks like, from from my perspective, is that you know you've you've got a lot of you've got our team that maybe oh this is going to be controversial, and maybe I shouldn't even say. No, absolutely, you should go on. <laughs> Oh look! I, I look. I think the the teams that they've put together are really talented, and they're not winning. Yep. You know that. Like, yep. Like we we had we had a guy that had the record for home runs that have ever been hit in our in our competition, and you know we we get beat. Yeah, he had no other offense to support him this year. Every game I was at, it was him, and there was no other hitting. Right, right. And and so I ask the question, and I look at that team, I look at the team and the players that they've got, and they're really talented. They're really talented. So why aren't you winning? And why aren't we packing the stadium out? It's... You know, if we've, got, if we've got a talented bunch of players, why aren't we winning and why aren't we packing the stadium out? I can't answer the first question, but from talking to a lot of people who go to games sometimes, I know the why aren't we packing the stadium out is location. Uh, no, that's rubbish. Well, that's rubbish. We're Victorians, and we'll, you know, we'll get if we've got if we've got a team that's smoking the competition, right? Well, that's and the, we're playing great, entertaining baseball. We will go to bloody Albury. Agreed, but that's the problem. They're not getting the results they should be getting. There and, you go. And I think it's the fact that baseball still doesn't really have it's it's not in the forefront of of people's minds in Victoria. Still, it still doesn't have that standing. Um, within everyone's mind. Like, I remember going to a game, I think, last year or the year before and hearing an American girl talk behind me and saying she didn't even know there was an Australian baseball league and she lived, you know, five minutes away. So it's one of those things where right. I think people just don't know about it, even if we are going well. And us at SEM, we try to do our best. And, of course, on the flag flies as well, we try to do our best to promote the league. But I think <laughs> a lot of the problems do come down to the fact that it's still it's not a lot, in the forefront of a lot of people's minds. Hey, look, I've got to say, you guys are doing a fantastic job, by the way. And my mum actually asked, you know, when this interview is going to be aired because uh, she is an avid SEN listener. Oh, good. She listens, all the, she listens to all the games and she laps up all the baseball stuff. So you, you guys are doing a fantastic job on, on doing what you can. Um, but the thing is, the product's got to sell itself. You know, you guys can only report on and, and get enthusiastic about, you know, the results. And if I'm, I'm telling you right now, a strong Aces team winning and smoking the opposition is going to do more for baseball than, than anything else. And regardless of where they play, you, you can say that Altona... Well, I'm telling you right now, I live five minutes from Altona, but I haven't been to a game because it hasn't captured my imagination. Mm. Um, now, but the thing is, if those guys were winning and playing an exciting brand of baseball and they were playing to win every single game and they were playing for the team, not for them, oh, gee whiz, not so, no, I'm not suggesting that that could be the case, but if this is this is where my mindset goes. If you're winning and you're playing an exciting brand of baseball, and you're playing as a team unit, that is so attractive, and people will come from everywhere to see that. Um, I, I would venture to say that, and I, I don't want to cast aspersions because 
you know, I, I haven't been around it, but I could work out pretty quickly. If you're not, if you've got a talented list of players and you're not winning, there's something not right. And there's only a handful of things that aren't right. You know what I mean? But there's only a handful of things that make up success. That's attitude. Well, the, the, you know, the attitude is one. Um, you know, commitment is another. Um, and the, the, most of them reside within your ears. Exactly. Like, it, it, most of them reside within, within your ears. And the first two, desire or attitude and commitment, you know, sort of pretty much, you know, if you've got that, um, and you've got everyone pulling in the one direction, um, then you know the results sort of take care of itself. So um, I, I think that's where the ABL's at right now. I, I would love to see a, a strong and healthy ACES program. Um, where it's at, I, look, I, I don't know. I, what I do know is that you guys are doing a magnificent job and, and just a super-duper job from SEM. It's very difficult with a minority sport to, to get the exposure, but you guys are doing a wonderful job. Um, hopefully, you know, that can grow. But I tell you right now, if Australia... Uh, sorry, Australia. If Victoria has a strong ACES team, um, that's going to make your job a hell of a lot easier. Spot on. Hey, Justin, I think it's safe to say that we've uh, outstayed your welcome a little bit. We <laughs> we promised you 10 minutes. The uh, interview's um, coming up to 40 minutes, so we do, apo- do apologise for that, but we love your honesty. We love the, your, your passion for the game. Clearly, you love the game, and I think you should have just uh, had a crack at that rather than going back to AFL, to be honest. But obviously, it worked out well in the end, which was all fine. But thank you so much for giving us a lot of your time today. Hopefully, um, you know we, we can see a, a very solid Aces, not only the Aces, but a very solid Australian Baseball League in general um, very, very shortly. And look, th- th- thanks for joining us, and, uh, and we'll, we'll make sure to keep in contact with you very shortly. Wonderful, and uh, any any time, boys, any time. Really enjoyed the time, and, and as you say, like, I am very passionate and uh, probably get a little bit carried away, but thanks very much for having me. Now you can go back and celebrate uh, your win from this afternoon. <laughs> thanks very much, boys. Thanks, mate. All the best. You're very welcome. Justin Charles there, former Aussie Rules footballer as well as minor league baseballer. You're listening to the Flag Flyers. We'll be back with Xavier Player's top 10 list after this. Chatting to Australians flying the flag in the US of A, this is the Flag Flyers. Welcome back to the Flag Flyers. Chris Tyler and Xavier Player. If you did miss our chat with Justin Charles, you can find that on sen.com.au. It was a tremendous chat. You can also follow us on Twitter at the Flag Flyers and on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the Flag Flyers. We tweet out uh, all these chats as, as, as we do them. We send out a link, all that sort of stuff, as well as any news that comes up uh, throughout the week, including news that our contributors like yourself, Xavier, might uh, send us during the week. You were the first one to tell us about Grant Balfour and I think of a couple of other points as well. So whenever any of our contributors send us something that we think is pretty tasty, then uh, we let everyone who is a, a follower of our Facebook page or a follower of our Twitter page, we let them know about it. So before we finish off the show today, and it is a jam-packed show, we wanted to have a bit more time for this one, but the uh, chat with Justin Charles went four times over time, uh, but it was just too good that we couldn't uh, we couldn't really stop him. But you wanted to do... Actually, you, why, don't, why don't you introduce what you wanted Well, we were talking about this earlier uh, yesterday when we were, we were planning things, and we were saying, oh, we're struggling a bit for content, which, as it turns out, we haven't. Justin Charles has done fantastically. <laughs> um, top 10 achievements by Australians... In America. Perfect. This was such a tough thing because there's so many things that stand out not only in a day-to-day basis but in a historical basis. So so running through them, I've, I've tried to get a lot of variety into the list. So here we go. Uh, coming in at number 10, Phil Dale, who's former Melbourne Aces manager. First Australian baseball to win a four-year scholarship when he joined, joined Georgia Southern University in 1983. Perfect. So that's a perfect way of starting off about it, especially because it's very topical because we just had a chat with Justin Charles, who's number nine. Number nine, Dick Johnson, the first Australian to race in NASCAR. That's pretty good. We've had a couple since then, but that's good. Uh, number eight, Lisa Devanna, women's professional football player in women's professional soccer and women's national soccer league in the United States. I'll admit, obviously. I don't know a whole bunch about her, but that is terrific. Obviously, in the United States, um, she kind of <laughs> she sprang to prominence in 2013 when she scored a goal for Sky Blue FC that went viral. If you remind me later in the week, I'll tweet the link and we can shoot that out. Perfect. Uh, number seven, Colin Ridgway, the first Australian to play in the NFL, played three games with the Dallas Cowboys in 1965. Paved the way for a lot of other Aussies to play the NFL. Did indeed. Coming at number six, uh, the monster. Jesse, Jesse Williams, Williams. Two-time NCAA championship winner with 
the Alabama Crimson, with the Tide. Crimson Tide. Coming in at number five. And we do wish Jesse the best because he is struggling with um, very, a very tough fight at the moment with cancer. So we do wish him the very, very best. We certainly do. Uh, number five, Graham Lloyd, 10-year Major League Baseball veteran, highlighted by winning two World Series with the Yankees in 96 and 98. Uh, he also spent time with Milwaukee, Toronto, Montreal, Florida, the Mets, and Kansas City. So he's got a good jersey collection, and I have a Graham Lloyd <laughs> signed baseball at home. Nice one. Uh, number four, uh, Luke Hughes, uh, current Perth Heat player, uh, home run in his first career at bat with the Minnesota Twins against the Detroit Tigers in 2010. Statistically, this has only happened 115 times and is twice as, rare, twice as rare as throwing a no-hitter. So what was that first hit with the first at-bat? First at-bat, he hit a home run. It wasn't on the first pitch. There's was that f- like the uh, the rookie for Texas last week? Yes. Did he hit it as well? Yes. Jo- Joey Gallo. Joey Gallo. Yeah. No, he got a hit with his first one, then a home run with his second one. Oh, right. Uh, number three, uh, the man we had on the show last week, Luke Longley. Uh, th- Good. There's a, there's another person that uh, had an appearance on the show a couple of weeks back that I'm hoping is in uh, is in your top. Uh, potentially, few, we'll get there. Not. Luke Longley obviously speaks for itself. Uh, played 62 games in the season where the Bulls won 72 and 10. That's Trey the- Time NBA champion. Yep. Best mates with MJ. Refers to him just as Michael. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, number two, Lauren Jackson, seven-time WNBA All Star. Nice one. Two-time WNBA champion, three-time WNBA MVP, 11-year career with the Seattle Storm. Yeah, it doesn't get much better than that. She was so close to being number one, but number one has to go to Andrew Bogut, the only Australian to be drafted number one in any of nice. the four major male professional sports. Wrong. Kyrie Irving also got drafted number one by the Cleveland Cavaliers. I count him as American. <laughs> so if that's who he's playing for nationally, that's what I count him as. What about Craig Shipley? Craig Shipley, he... Because we had him on the show a couple of weeks back, and he was a pioneer, or one of the pioneers for Australians moving to Major League Baseball, and he's since become... Uh, he's held a managerial position with the Arizona Diamondbacks, being the assistant to the GM of the Diamondbacks. That's pretty good. Yeah, I, he's he's sort of in that honourable mention category for me. Nice. Uh, Paddy Mills is in there as well, obviously. Cool. First um, Australian, Torres Strait Islander, the heritage to play in the NBA. NBA. That's a huge thing as well. But as I said at the top of this segment, such a tough thing to only pick 10. Absolutely. Xavier, thank you so much for uh, filling in for Lockie once again. We might see you next week. We might not. That was a tremendous chat. I'm just going to reiterate. Our chat with Justin Charles was phenomenal. If you did miss it, make sure you head to scn.com.au. Follow us on Twitter at The Flag Flyers or on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash The Flag Flyers. He is a very, very interesting dude. Loves a chat. We said to him we'd only be 10 minutes. It ended up being a 40-minute chat. We couldn't play the full thing tonight, but if you do want to hear the full thing, make sure you do go on scn.com.au. Have a good night, guys. Sweet dreams.